For Spurs fans everywhere, this is the ultimate football app for you. For match highlights, interviews and the best Tottenham videos and podcasts, download the free Coys app now from the App Store and Google Play. Hello and welcome to the latest edition of the Come On You Spurs podcast. My name's Dan Tracy and I'll be your host for the next 45 minutes or so as we talk all things Tottenham because win or lose, we'll discuss the news. Now, James has failed a late internet fitness test which means his long-awaited return is delayed by a week. Thankfully, though, I have two top guests who will be able to put in a shift in this evening, which means leaning from the front or in the captain's armband is Cole. So, Cole, how have things been in the past week? Yeah, really good. Thanks, Dan. Um, obviously, you know, with, with a restart coming nearer and some football on, uh, on the horizon, I, I think everything's looking pretty good, to be honest, mate. Yeah, we're getting there. Bit by bit, we're getting there. And also, returning to the show and providing the supply line to you this evening is Emma Story. So, Emma, pleasure as always to have you on. How have you been keeping? Oh, thanks for having me. How have you been keeping over in Germany? Yeah, not too bad, thank you. We're uh, we're sort of edging towards a more like normal kind of life here now, and we've had a bank holiday uh, on Monday, so it's been it's been a good relaxed weekend for us. So yeah, it's it's pretty good. Wunderbar. Right. <laughs> Glad we got that out of the way. Let's do the social media bits out of the way as well, so we can dissect all the latest talking points and more in full. As always, don't forget to subscribe to the Cover New Spurs app, where the podcast is available each and every Tuesday morning. You can, of course, follow us across social media. We're on Twitter at cois underscore com. We're also on all the major audio platforms, that's Apple, Spotify, SoundCloud, you name it, we're on there. Right, let's get down to business. And that business looks like a probable Premier League restart in, you know, let's say three weeks' time, give or take. Now, Cole, I usually start with you, but tonight I want to offer the first question to Emma, if you don't mind. No, go for it then. You know, Emma's, Emma seems a better one to ask this question, I think. <laughs> Cheers, Cole. Right, OK, so obviously, Emma, you've been our collective voice on the ground on Twitter in Germany over the past few weeks, and you'll be best placed to sort of offer some Bundesliga insight. With that in mind, what have you learned from the first four game weeks since that restart and what can we come to expect in the Premier League? OK, well, uh, there's quite a lot to, to kind of unpick and get into there. I mean, there's some, been some interesting trends that have, have come about um, since the Bundesliga um, resumed. The first one is that home advantage with no fans appears to no longer exist. Um, by far and away, there are more, more than half, twice as many away wins as home wins in the 35 matches we've had um, so far. And actually, um, it's been a real, like the teams that have won at home are kind of the people you would expect to win, the likes of Bayern and Dortmund. So um, it, it's, it's a really interesting one to see that that whole, the idea of having no fans at football actually really does play, home advantage plays a big part in, the, in these teams getting a result. Um, the quality of the matches has has generally been pretty good uh I think there are you know there's definitely a few fitness issues not in terms of you know that they they can't run but just you see that people are perhaps a little bit slower to the ball uh, perhaps can't go the full 90 like at full pelt you see a lot of games can start quite slowly um I think it's a it's a strange experience like although it's nice to have some football back and to be watching it and I'm sure the guys who've watched it in the UK would say the same it is a very strange atmosphere watching a game as big as Bayern versus Dortmund for example with only the shouts of the players to keep you company I know that there's red button options where you can have crowd noise pumped in um, we've tried it both ways here in terms of, of watching it with fan noise and watching it without and I personally would say I actually prefer to hear the real noise and hear the players' shouts than to have fake crowd noise, which I know actually has nothing to do with what's going on on the pitch, however hard they're trying. So it's um it's a, it's a weird state of affairs. You know, with the Bundesliga, it was a really difficult um, conversation that was had here. Um, uh, the public opinion was actually pretty against 
the Bundesliga regiming at all. Um, but the the issue that they had here is that the the financial side of the game was it was a, in real serious trouble. Um, it was looking like thirteen out of thirty six. Professional clubs in Germany could have gone out of business if the leagues were not able to resume. Um, you know, the pyramid in, in here in Germany is, is nothing like as deep as the professional pyramid in England. Um, and so they were very honest, actually, from the beginning that this is a, a financial decision. I suspect if there had not been so much pressure on the finances of certain clubs, including clubs in the top division, uh, I suspect that, that maybe the, the game wouldn't have resumed um, yet, certainly, and maybe not at all. Um, but that's the situation we found ourselves in. Um, it's been very fortunate here in terms of testing. I know the Premier League is now going through the same test their players twice a week. Here, uh, we've not had any positive tests in the top division, uh, Bundesliga 1, since the um, since the restart happened. We've had a few in Bundesliga Spy. There seems to be a particular issue around Dinamo Dresden for some reason who keep popping up with positive tests. Um, but the, the top division has been, uh, you know, uh, as far as you can call it a success in terms of safety and health, it has been as, as much of a success as you can imagine. So, so far, so good. But I think it's um, it's fair to say that people are not complacent here. I think there's still an element of not looking too far ahead and getting ahead of times in, in, in terms of the season actually definitely finishing. Certainly, there's been no conversations yet either about what will happen with the timing of the start for next season. Um, because obviously, you know, if it were to start in its usual time in mid-August here, that would be behind closed doors automatically because all mass events are banned until August the 31st at the earliest. Um, so I think they feel they want to get this season hopefully done and concluded, and then they can worry about what might be to come in the future. So it's it's been an interesting time. Carl, we've obviously given it some increased focus between us two on sort of some other discussion points, but it's fair to say that although, as Emma has alluded to, and rightly so, that it is a, a very sensitive topic about football restarting, we're looking from it from afar, and we'd have to say that it has been a relative success. And do you feel that that success can be carried over to the Premier League and from a Spurs point of view? Yeah, I, I think so. You know, I think we were saying, weren't we, before that you know everyone was going to look for the, the German league and see how things went to kind of give them a kind of guide as to how it will go for for us um and you have to say from what we've seen so far it's kind of been a relative success and you know we know don't we that I think the Premier League will follow the same sort of protocols um they're going to do the testing so I can only see us following in the sort of way the German model has gone and you know, I, I believe we'll get up and running again um, I know, obviously, we've still got discussions around certain games being played at neutral venues and stuff like that, I guess, for fear that, you know, crowds may turn up at certain grounds um, and they want to try and avoid that. Um, but I think that what we've seen so far is really encouraging. And I think it does lead us to believe that we can get some football up and running again. And hopefully it will be a success and we can get this season finished. But as Emma says, I don't think anyone's going to look too far in the future just yet. That that's see how it goes, see what happens. I think the biggest fear that everyone has is if, you know, one of the top squads suddenly tests positive um, and then, you know, after a couple of games have been played and then, say, potentially that whole squad has to go into, um, you know, isolation for a period of time, then you start thinking, right, their fixtures have got to drop back and, you know, how do you then, you know, catch them up? Little things like that. But I'm sure there are plans in place for what that what happens if that does happen. Um, and for me, it's all encouraging signs. And I think it leads us to believe that we should get some football going. 
uh, and we will see it. Emma, you mentioned home advantage or the lack thereof. I think it's only eight wins out of 35 and there's a game playing at the moment, yeah. which is also going to uh, the away team. So less than a quarter. How much should we be reading into that as Premier League supporters? Is that something that Spurs are going to have to be weary once we get going again? Um, I mean, to be honest, given how the season was going for us prior to the um, the, the, the halt for lockdown, um, I actually think it's probably beneficial to us rather than harmful to us because I think some of the performances, you know, the, the discontent among the fans in the stadium probably doesn't help things. Um, I think the thing you have to be a little bit careful of is it's only been three rounds of matches. It's probably a little bit too small a sample size to really definitively say that there is absolutely a trend for away teams or there's absolutely damage to home teams. Um, but it's certainly on this this early early basis, it seems that it, it's definitely harming home support, home teams that they don't have their, their own fans to to support them and to back them and to roar them on. Um, it was interesting just listening there about, uh, you know, how the Premier League hopes to follow the Bundesliga example. I completely agree. I think they will follow, you know, the same protocols and the same procedures. But I, I do think people need to maybe be a little bit aware that the situation um, societally in Germany in terms of where the, the kind of battle against the virus is at the moment um, it's not quite the same picture as it is in, in the UK and specifically in England at the moment. There are a lot fewer cases happening in Germany. Um, the virus is a lot less widespread than it was previously. And so there's been a, I think, it, there's been a tendency to not have quite so much fear about there being a, a big outbreak among players because actually the level of outbreak in the country as a whole has been dropping. Um, also, the other thing is that uh, I'm not sure what the Premier League's protocol on this will be, but actually in the Bundesliga, the protocol is um, for if a player test positive is it's just that player and their household that has to isolate and not the whole squad. Um, obviously, if half the squad were to go down with it, that would be a different story. But we had a, a situation at the very first match where um, Cologne uh, had three, uh, two players and a physio test positive. Um, and just those individuals isolated and not the rest of the squad, they actually went on to play their, their first game um, without any problems. So there may be some differences in how they, they choose to implement these things in the Premier League because of the differences that we have between what's happened in Germany recently and what's been happening in, in England especially. So, Carl, if we go back to home advantage and the risk that that might now have... Is there a sense that it could be a double-edged sword in a good way? Emma sort of alluded to the fact that although we might lose our fortress, it actually might not be the worst thing because all of a sudden you could be picking up points on the road that you might not have expected pre-hiatus. Yeah, well, I've, you know, that, let's face it. I think since we moved away from White Hart Lane and moved back to the new stadium, you wouldn't call us, you know, as having a fortress at home, would you, no. since we've been back there? So I think, you know, I don't fear for, as much for us, if you like, as saying at home advantage, you know. The way we left White Hart Lane, you definitely was going, anytime we play at home, you'd fancy us to pick up a win. Right now, and as Emma said, this season, the form has been very patchy no matter where we've played. Um, and obviously, given Poch's sacking and Jose being brought in, you know, the home crowd wasn't exactly always on the team's side, you know, in the last few home games we played. You take the Norwich game, for example, and obviously Eric Dyer going into the crowd to kind of confront someone. You know, certain supporters are still not happy with Jose coming in. So it, it wasn't, you know, not everyone was fully behind the, the side and, and shouting to the rooftop. So, as Emma said, maybe it could work in, in our advantage that actually... There isn't those sort of crowds there. There isn't that pressure. If things don't go right early on, then you don't have those fans getting on your back and suddenly players feeling even more pressure. So I actually don't think that that 
is going to be a problem for us and it could actually be a benefit to be honest to get to get going with yeah i think you're right actually just sort of get rid of that not toxicity as such but just that additional pressure which has perhaps hampered spurs at times i think if you remove that layer then it's just a case of who's the best team on the day and you like to think with our squad being at full fitness then hopefully we can sort of win more than you'd expect two three months ago but that said, Emma, you're well known for racking up the air miles in your quest to support Tottenham yeah. across Europe. <laughs> Something that certainly won't be the case during this sort of period of, you know, end of this season. No, start, absolutely not. Start of next. So although that sort of makes it a bit easier in terms of travel and the lack thereof. But when and how do you envisage Spurs opening their doors to supporters once more? Uh, I don't think we can put a date on that right now. I think the situation at the moment is so fluid still, not just in the UK, but elsewhere that I think... You know, it's kind of like what I said about the Bundesliga. We need to get this season out of the way first, which we all know is going to be behind closed doors. And that's all agreed. We get to the end of this season and then we can start making some decisions as to what happens next season in terms of when it kicks off, whether there are fans there, how they might get fans there. I just think it's, um, you know, the, the, the tricky thing that you have with any football match is that you have... 40, 50, 60,000 people in extremely close proximity to each other and no way to really regulate kind of what they're doing in terms of who they're coming into contact with and who they're touching, who they're walking past, you know, the facilities that they're using, you know, toilets, catering, even turnstiles. Like the whole, there are so many questions that need to have kind of definitive answers um, that we just don't have at the moment. Um, I think, yeah, I, I, I can't see... If I was to put kind of like a you know money on it, I wouldn't say before the end of this year that we'd see fans back again in stadiums in, in proper numbers. But, you know, who knows if everything goes really well and come September, the, the virus is, you know, super low cases and they're able to successfully isolate and trace and test, then, then maybe. But I, I think there's, uh, there's too many unknowns right now to be able to put like a, a definitive guess on it but for, from my, my opinion anyway at the moment no I think you're absolutely right I think there's too many variables and no one really knows what direction we're going in I think you're right in the sense that I'd be very surprised myself if you saw the match go in 2020 I think it's going to have to be 2021 onwards and I think you know Cole the the idea that has been mooted is reduced capacities and we've also discussed the fact that stadiums themselves aren't really built with social distancing in mind so if they do go down the reduced capacity route is the fundamental issue then at Spurs, who gets to go to games? For example, does an 1882 ticket hold more sway than someone who just enters the members' ballot? Do you have to say that season ticket holders might only get six games on a rotor? You know, I'm just thinking out loud here, but will there have to be some sort of left-field thinking to get us going again? Yeah, you, you've kind of thinking, didn't you, that, you know, trying to kind of decide who gets to go and that it is a real logistical nightmare. You know, you're looking at maybe... You know, it's heard the rumour the other day, like one in three seats being used and maybe every other row. And as you say, how do you do that with season ticket holders who want to go? Um, again, even still, even if you did one in three seats, as Emma's mentioned there, you've got turnstiles to think about, you know, the the, con the, the Congress areas where people want to queue up for a beer and food and toilets, all those sorts of things. You know, there's a shop. What does the club do with the, the shop, you know, because um, they'll want to have the shop open and get supporters in there. There's so many, there's so many things to think about and try to work out how you do that. Even if you do that with reduced capacity, it's still a nightmare. So I, I, I wouldn't know where you start to begin to kind of decide who gets to go you know to those games and how you work it out but you would assume there would have to be something like okay you know season ticket x y and z you get to go to these few games the next lot thereafter um 
But I'm telling you, I'm glad I'm not the person who's got to try and come up with the idea to solve that one, Dan, because no, the whole thing throughout all of this is no one's going to be happy with whatever decision gets made, are they? Someone will always feel slightly aggrieved, but we've just got to do what's best for everyone. And then hopefully, as Emma said, you know, maybe by, you know, January or February next year, if things have gone the way we hope they do, then you might start seeing, you know, some ideas and finally some people being allowed in to watch some football. Yeah, I mean, whatever decision is made, it's always going to be a sense of least worst rather than perfect fit. But I think what else can you do? Because like you say, there's so many sort of ifs and buts and we don't really know how the next three months pans out and the three months after that, that you can't really make fundamental decisions at such an early stage. But in terms of the actual restart, Emma, last week we spoke about Tottenham being held, sorry, being dealt a rather fortunate hand in an incredibly bad circumstance. Now, it is what it is. You know, we can't, can't change what's <laughs> happened in the last couple of months. With that said... Do you feel that the players and the manager can salvage a season which has been sort of sailing on choppy waters at times? Um, I, uh, it's re- it, I find it a really tricky question to answer. Um, I do think that we can be better than we were. Um, and obviously having the likes of Harry and Musa and Sonny all back and in action, I think will undoubtedly give us a boost. I don't think there's any way around that. Uh, and also the fact that Mourinho has said that he has had a lot of time to reflect and plan. He's been living with his coaching staff and they've been working on watching everything back and, and coming up with you know new ideas and, and, and new tactics. Like um, I think all of that will help. But I mean, if I'm honest, I, I don't think the season is particularly salvageable from this point. I think we are personally and this is I will probably get hammered for this for being too negative but I mean we're out of all the cup competitions and we are so far off the top four it's not just a case I think Harry um, said in an interview recently that we'd have to win six or seven of our remaining eight games to make the top four if we were lucky but that's still not enough it still relies on other teams messing up as well now you know, having football behind closed doors with no fans is totally unpredictable. And, and you know, it may be that that does happen. But I think it's a real stretch to imagine that we're playing in, in Europe next season. I mean, maybe, maybe we get Europa League. But, you know, a lot of people say they don't want Europa League. Like, I don't know how you feel about that. Is it better to have a season where you can just focus on the domestic competitions the way that Leicester did and Chelsea did when they won the title in the last few years? So it's a really, for me, like I said, it sounds like I'm being horribly negative, but I, I think it'll be better than it was before the restart. But I, I, I can't, I cannot see a way forward that's going to end with a successful season for us now. Cole, you can currently get 16 to 1 on Spurs finishing top four. So that's always tempting because you think, oh, actually, you know, we're a decent sort of squad and the personnel we've got. That said, is catching Chelsea a bridge too far? Is the more realistic hope perhaps that we finish fifth and City's UEFA ban then gets upheld? Yeah, this is a tough one, isn't it? Because I think even even to, to think about yourselves finishing fifth, again, it's that thing, isn't it? I, I don't like the idea of trying to just finish fifth and hope that things go your way. You know, I, I'd rather want to finish in that top four position and, and sort it yourselves. But as Emma said, there's so many things that can happen when football restarts, isn't it? You know, form's going to be patchy. You know, are those sides in the middle of the table who've got nothing to play for 
you know, are there going to be sides who face more of those opposition? Will they be putting everything in? You know, will those players be on the beach almost? Will those clubs be looking to try things for next season? Um, there's so many things that could happen here that you just don't know. You know, you get the impression you might see some results to begin with, in my view, that almost remind you of those first day of the season matches where, you know, the form team or the team you think would win suddenly come, you know, come unstuck somewhere you would have no clue that they come unstuck at. Um, the only good thing I think for us is that, you know, this has probably felt like a, a pre-season again where everyone's fresh, come together. You know, we've got all those players back that we were going to be missing. You know, Harry being back is a massive, massive boost because, you know, when he was going to be out for the majority of our games, that's your main goal threat kind of gone. You know, you're relying on other players who are really patchy, whereas if we can get Harry back nice and fit and fresh, Son's back, you know, Bergwijn will be refreshed. The whole squad kind of just come together, brushed off a little bit of that negativity towards the end before football stopped. You know, Jose's had some time to reflect, you know, with his coaches and that. So you'd like to think we can come back and hit, you know, maybe given the personnel we'll have, we could hit the ground running. And there's no reason why we couldn't go on a good run and win the majority of our games. But as Emma said, we're really relying on other teams to mess up. And, and even if we do our job, it still might not be enough. I think the club will be hoping they kind of finish fifth, you know, fourth, fifth around that mark. Me, myself, if we're going to miss out on the Champions League, I would rather we miss out on Europe altogether for a season. I think given, you know, everything with the pandemic, I don't think you'll see transfers happening. So I think we could still keep the majority of our squad where if this hadn't, hadn't had happened and we missed out on Champions League, I'd be fearing that there'd be certain players who would be looking elsewhere. Now I think people will be more keen to kind of stay and just see things out for another year or so and see where football lands after that period. So I think, you know, we could potentially benefit from what Leicester and Chelsea did if we miss out altogether. Yeah, I think we said that before months ago. Now, to say that doesn't mean you lack ambition, but it means you're a bit more sort of pragmatic because, like you say, there have been examples and it has worked for other clubs. So you think to yourself, if we are going to miss out, I'd rather just really crash and burn and finish ninth and just, you know, then be fresher in theory next time round. But that said, Emma, talking about fresh... Is one way to look at it that this end of the season is just a nine-game sprint. You know, the cliche is always that it's a marathon and you don't win things early. But if you sort of break it down, <laughs> it's nine games to go. You've got the fittest squad you'll have in months. There is sort of hope, there's optimism, but have we just left ourselves a little bit too much to do? Yeah, I mean, I think, <laughs> yeah. I think from, from my point of view, I think we have too much to do. It's like, you know, we've kind of just been saying um, that Carl's just been mentioning that, you know, we're not, it's not just about us, unfortunately. We are so far back that we need other teams to also mess up. And, you know, having lost both home and away to Chelsea this season is kind of the killer blow because they're the team that we're chasing down. And that's six points that we've lost them that we have no way to get back unless they mess up. So it's, yeah, I, I, I mean, it, it, in some ways it's great to have to just be like, yeah, this is eight, nine games. It's just, you know, heads down and we just go for it. And I think it will maybe be beneficial for the, the squad as a whole because I feel like they've got into such a rut of poor performances and poor form. And there was a real degree of toxicity around, I think, the stadium. You know, we mentioned the the Norwich Cup game um, earlier in, in the chat. And I mean, that's a perfect example of it. I was there that night and the atmosphere was was utterly horrific, but also you you know the performance was was horrendous, right from the team selection to the the penalties. Like it was the whole thing was just a disaster. And at least now 
you know, you can say we've had a, a decent amount of time from all that happening for people to, A, kind of, you know, get over it and put it behind them. And also, people are really missing football now. A lot, a lot of people have, you know, desperate to see any kind of action and you kind of don't know what you've got till it's gone. And so, actually, any kind of Tottenham performance will, will be, you know, reveled in and rejoiced in. So, I think there's a lot of benefits for them um, in terms of, of, of having this this big break. But I, I would caution with the whole match fitness thing, like they will be fit, obviously, like physically. But I've definitely noticed in, in the Bundesliga, the first couple of games especially, you see that players aren't quite there. Like, you know, there's a lot of misplaced passes. There's a lot of, you know, hopeful attacks that break down because someone's not quite in the place that they're supposed to be in usually. Like, it takes a while for them it has taken a while for them to kind of feel their way back into, you know, playing like a team. And I think that's something that we have to be aware of. I mean, our first game is against Manchester United, so it's not exactly a kind of easy given one that we could maybe think however we play, we'll get through it. So um, I think, yeah, I caution against everything being really amazing, like as soon as you hit the ground running. But, I, I you know, I think there's definitely reasons to be optimistic for how we can perform in this final stretch of the season. But yeah, I do feel like it's going to be a bridge too far for us to get to that top four. Okay. I think that's heaven. Co- <laughs> yeah, yes. Heaven indeed. Right. I think that's covered <laughs> all the restart chat for this week. At least I want you two to cast your minds back to 12 months ago to this very day. Now, admittedly it's still raw, but we should talk about it. So Carl, you're up first. Do you have any positive memories of that day? Or have you tried to block everything out from June 1st, 2019? Yeah, I have to say, you know, that that day has been wiped from memory, Dan. Yep, so yep, good I man. can only assume it was a sunny Saturday, wasn't it? <laughs> I think I really enjoyed myself. Um, but no, as you say, we have kind of, I haven't watched a rerun of the final since, to be honest. I can't bring myself to do it. Um, I think I said to you before, you know, uh, bit, when I was 10, we lost to Coventry in, in the FA Cup final, you know, my first final. And, and I know the way I felt that day, having now got my boy myself, and obviously that day we had the whole build-up, the whole excitement since the semi-final win. And then, you know, the build-up during the day, getting, watching it early, having lots of people around, and 30 seconds in, what happens, happens with your handball. I knew at that point, you know, I kind of knew at that point, game's over. That's it. It's done. Because as much as there was still 90 minutes basically to go, you just never felt we'd do what we needed to do to win the game. And and I kind of, at that point, you kind of thought, right, I, I can see where this is going to go and the disappointment. But I know that my boy still had that, you know, those feelings that we're going to get back in this. And seeing that when the final whistle went and Liverpool scored the second goal, I could see the disappointment and how crushed he was. And I'm afraid that, for me, just made me want to blank that whole day out. You know, I've not talked about it since. I've not watched it since. Um, and given the fact that, if you like, it felt like that was the day the wheels really, really fell off um, and we never recovered from, it has been a day you want to blank out of memory, to be honest. Yeah, I couldn't agree more, mate. I can't bring myself to watch it. I think the most I've done is a gif of Sissoko's handball, but even that, I'm sort of quickly scrolling up. I just, you know, even there's like a review show or Liverpool's greatest on BT Sports, off. Get it off quickly. I just can't do it. But Emma, <laughs> at the same time, um, is it more perhaps about the journey to the Champions League final? Can you take any positives for the defeat to Liverpool or is it more about just getting to Madrid that was their best thing for you? Yeah, I mean, it's a really... Uh, the whole 
this time last year was kind of it's kind of a day of two halves for me really because I was in Madrid um and my memories of the actual day like the build-up to the match um being in the fan zone seeing people that I hadn't seen for years who had traveled for the final uh, people that you've met all through your Tottenham journey and everyone kind of walking around saying like, I can't believe this is it I can't believe we're in the Champions League final I can't believe this is happening to us um the memory of walking into the stadium I mean I can get emotional about Tottenham at the best of times. And I absolutely burst into tears the first time I saw the, the pitch at the uh, Wanda Metropolitano because I literally could not believe that, that we were here and that I was going to watch like our boys compete in the Champions League final because having grown up, I'm a similar age uh, to you, um, Carl, and having w- woken up, uh, sorry, woken up, um, grown up with, you know, watching... Every other, you know, watching Arsenal or Liverpool or Manchester United or Chelsea, like they're all the teams like having the the big European nights. And that wasn't us for so long. Like I never believed that that would happen to us. So that up until that point, up until the game kicked off, I have hugely positive memories of the experience. But from the moment that match kicked off, I mean, I was sat about or stood 25 rows or so right behind where Sissoko's handball that wasn't a handball happened. And... I just remember, you know, I was the guy I was stood next to who I didn't even know. We were both just screaming, like, what is that? That's not a penalty. And uh, from that moment onwards, it was, for me, it was just over. There was no response from us. I think, you know, just like Carl said, I, I, I just didn't ever see us coming back from that. And to have it happen so, so early in the match, it was such a killer blow. And, like, I have not watched it um, since ever again not anything from the match at all Uh, I don't think I ever will Um, but you mentioned about kind of the positives to the journey I mean that was everything for me that whole journey to the Champions League final last season really was something that I don't know if I'll ever feel like that about football again in my lifetime like I mean I was fortunate enough to be in in Ajax in the second leg and my god like Lucas Moura's winner is the the greatest moment of my life Um, and nothing can take that away from me even how terrible the final was, I would rather just remember the journey and remember all the the joy and the memories and the football that was played rather than let just the one final night spoil it. But yeah, I'll, I, don't, I don't think I'll ever watch it again, the Champions League final. I don't think I'll ever watch anything from it. It's, 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 it's erased yeah. from the memory completely. Well, welcome to the club. Carl, if we try and look ahead now, if you were to assess the 12 months since then, what's been your honest assessment of that period? I think it's just really disappointing, isn't it? Because I think, as I say, you know, before the final with, you know, the, you know, I think obviously it all started with Pochi's comments, wasn't it, about, you know, I could leave if we, if we win this. Um, and then the disappointment from that game. And you just never felt as a club as a whole, we recovered from that night at all. You know, you then started getting, you know, rumours of people being unhappy and you kind of got the impression that, you know, Poch wasn't happy, even though in the press he was saying the right things, his body language and, and the way he looked just, just wasn't right. You know, in the players, you could see certain players weren't right. And it just, you know, and then you have, you know, your big summer signing that gave everyone a lift suddenly starts looking like this guy can't last more than 20 minutes. And now, you know, have we just gone and spent 65 million on the guy who's never going to deliver it, and then, obviously, the way the football has been going, it, you could just say it has been a purely disappointing 12 months, especially when you consider what 
this what football we'd been watching and playing before that you know because we really felt like we were on the brink of something special and to see it kind of just disappear and and suddenly we seemed to just go so far backwards in such a quick space of time you just felt really disappointed um and you kind you know i was being kind of left with this 12 months of just thinking maybe we've just let our best opportunity of seeing some real, real success and dominance pass us by. And can we actually recover and get back to where we were? Emma, at the same time, is it a little hard to offer a full and frank assessment because this season still needs to play out? Or do you sort of share the same viewpoint as Carl that, I say damage, but there's been so much sort of disappointment in the last nine months, it's almost overrided a calendar year anyway? Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm 100% with Carl on that. I, I feel that, um, yeah, that la- this time last year was, was our moment and we didn't take advantage of it. And then when we didn't, I think you saw everything kind of collapse around the mentality of the squad, the mentality of the manager. Um, and I don't think any of us foresaw quite how far backwards it would go, but I, I think we all accepted there would it would take a little while to recover. I don't think we expected it to be the complete uh I was going to use a read word there the complete catastrophe that most of this season has been um and that's compounded obviously by I think when Pochettino was sacked and Mourinho brought in the way that that split the fan base massively you know um people that were so in favor of, of Poch and, and wanting him to be given the chance to to you know uh, come back from this and then you know people saying that well he clearly lost the squad and Mourinho's a winner and other people saying it, but Mourinho's a Chelsea man, he's not a Tottenham man, look at the football that he plays. Like it's caused a real rift among among big sections of the fan base and that didn't do anything to help. And then unfortunately, you know, what we hoped might happen with Mourinho in the fact that he is a winner and he does know how to get results, like with our squad has just not happened. Um, and I mean, I think toxic is the word that I've used a couple of times already. Um, but I do feel like the, the first couple of months of 2020, so literally the period from pretty much from Christmas up until we got knocked out of the Champions League by Leipzig with another utter horrific performance. Um, I, I think it has been progressively getting more and more toxic. And I, I think it is fair to say that this season has gone down as one of the worst of the last uh, decade, definitely. And um, I don't think, you know... Even if we were to finish in the top four now, even if we were to win all nine games and, and, you know, amazing, incredible run, I'm not sure that would be enough to repair all the damage that has already been done this season. I think it's going to take a while. But it's going to be interesting to see how it plays out next season, whenever we do play next season. Um, Because I think, like you guys mentioned earlier, like there's not likely to be a lot of transfer activity this summer because clubs don't have the money to spend. And maybe what we need is a summer where we consolidate our squad and... Um, everybody kind of resets, I guess, is is, is the word. But um, yeah, I mean, for me, I, I I don't really feel like the season is is kind of salvageable from a, a emotion um, point of view. And I think some, you know, there was really such a big part of me that was hoping that the season might get voided, so I could we could literally just pretend it didn't happen and just start again in August. But you know, we are where we are now, so that's a whole different whole different ball game, so to speak. <laughs> I was going to say that we've got the therapy session out of the way, but I feel like now I've sort of brought up some raw emotions here, Emma. Sort of, sort of. <laughs> yeah, it's a pain. It's been a painful. It's, it has been a painful season because I think. Oh no! Yeah, you right. know, I think like a lot of people, the 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 final 
run to the Champions League last season, I think, was so magical. And we were so connected, I think, to to the players and to the manager. I really, you know, I think the, the genuine kind of emotion and bond that was there was so big that, there, you know, I guess it's the same thing. Like, if you're at the top of the peak, there's only one way you can go and that's down. And, you know, I think we all should have probably expected that that couldn't last. But I, I guess we kind of hoped that a Champions League win was going to crown that as the, the sort of end of that journey. But, yeah, it is it is difficult because it just hasn't felt... I, I personally felt at the beginning of this year when I was going to the games and I was flying over, like you said, and racking up the air miles, I wasn't enjoying it. I wasn't enjoying the experience. I wasn't enjoying the football that I was seeing. I wasn't enjoying the atmosphere in the stadium. And, and you know, that's really sad when you've been a fan for like 30 odd years and, and, you know, you have a team that is far better than anything you had when you were, you know, growing up and watching us and being really passionate about us. Um, to then be feeling that you actually don't really like them is, is an awful position to be in. And I really hope that that changes for me personally. This is not me speaking for anybody else. Um, but that's why I think, yeah, for, for, for me, I, I kind of just want to move on. I want to get past everything that's happened in the last 12 months and just clean slate and start again. Right, move on. I, I, completely, I completely agree with them there, though, Dan, because as you say, before that, our football was exciting, wasn't it? And yep. you were really excited no matter who you were playing. You felt, right, we'll play some really good football today. This season, even when we were winning, you were coming away saying, that was dreadful. And, and we were so lucky there. And I think that's the difference, isn't it? You know, before you could get excited and we had a side that excited us, whereas this season, we, you know, we were just clinging on to wins and, you know, not playing great football. And the excitement did seem to go this season. Okay, let's move on. Okay, I think we can put that in the bin for now. <laughs> End of the therapy. <laughs> yes, I'll, uh, I'll bill you afterwards. But let's focus on Teddy Sheringham's comments. A former forward looks like he's maybe trying to turn one of our players into another former forward, that being Harry Kane. So I'm keen to get both your takes on this. Carl, I'll start with you. Are these comments necessary? Can you understand where Teddy's coming from? Or is it simply just a slow news week? No, I mean, if you look at it, as you say, I don't think Teddy was necessarily almost, you know, touting for Man United at the time. But if if you look at it, I guess Teddy is kind of, oh, I don't know, you could say he's the perfect person to talk to Harry Kane, couldn't you? Because there's so much similarities between the players when they were with us at the time that you do kind there is a part of you that gets the feeling that we will see the same situation and scenarios play out. You know, Teddy, when he was with us, was our talisman, you know, a brilliant player. Everybody loved him. You know, when he was in the side, you felt like you could win a game. When he wasn't, you kind of already went into a game thinking, well, without Teddy, we could be in real trouble here. And the similarities between him and Kane are there. Obviously, you've got the similarities beside a, a player who played for us, could see he loved us, but came to a point where he had to say, listen, if I want to start winning things in my career that I can look back on, I may have to leave this club. And I think probably what Teddy was saying there was, you know, just like, listen, you know, you've got a career. You know, I unfortunately love Tottenham, but realised I had to leave to kind of fulfil the ambition of winning some trophies and that. And I guess he was just saying that, you know, the same thing could possibly happen to Harry. And I think inside of us, there's a little part of us that we all probably feel that could happen as well. And, that, you know, Harry will get to a point where he just feels as much as I love this club and would love to stay forever. I actually want to win some things in my career. And it may be that it doesn't happen here. Um, 
And I think that's all Teddy was really pointing out. I don't think he was necessarily trying to sell Harry to Man United because I still think Teddy is a Tottenham boy, even though he left us for the United at that little spell. Um, but I think he was just highlighting what we all know and what we all, you know, our deepest fear is, is what he was saying could happen eventually. Emma, at the same time, were his quotes rather sensationalised? Because if you look at the whole interview, it's not really sort of that narrative. So are we just been guilty of sort of taking the headline, not really looking at the context behind it. Yeah, and I mean, I think it's easy to do that because uh, you said, like, is it a slow music? Well, you know, it's been a, a slow news month as True. far as football yep. goes because we've, they've not had anything to talk about. So, um, it, you know, to me, it was a classic uh, kind of transfer window or international break story where you're desperate to find something that you can get people engaged in and people talking about. And I agree with Carl, like, you know, I think if you read the whole interview that, that Teddy uh, gave and all the quotes... Talking about Harry leaving is actually quite a small part of it. And what he does kind of go on to say is the fact that him and, and, and Harry are not in the same position with Tottenham. Because when Teddy was at Tottenham, we were generally absolutely terrible. And there was no prospect of us challenging for the title or challenging in the Champions League. Like it was so remote from where we were. You know, we were like mid-table, bottom half of table. There, there, was no, there was no joy to be had for him in terms of if he wanted to win trophies. He says in that interview that, you know, Harry is not in that same situation because Tottenham is a very, very different club to the one that existed when Teddy was there. And he makes that point. And I think the one line about saying, you know, Harry only has one career and he has to think about himself and wanting to win trophies. It's just one line. I think he also says in that interview that, you know, Harry, if Harry feels that Tottenham are still in contention for a trophy and are fighting for a trophy and he can win with them, that he will stay. So I think you kind of... I, th I think you read into it what you want to. And I think also it's just like Carl said, like it's somebody coming out and articulating our worst fear. Because deep down, as, as Carl said, we all know that Harry, in our, in our current state, the way we've been playing particularly, Harry's too good for us. And Harry deserves better. He deserves to be in a side that is winning trophies. He deserves to have silverware that's not just, you know, I say not just, but it's, it's not just individual honours for, for golden boots, you know. Um, you don't want somebody as talented as him to end their career with no trophies. So we all feel that deep down and, it, but it, and it's a really harsh truth and you don't want to hear it said out loud because it means you have to acknowledge it and accept it. And I think that's probably the thing which pushed everybody's buttons a bit about, about the, the Teddy interview. But in, in terms of what he actually said, yeah, I think it's a slow, it has been a very slow news time for football and you know, I don't think Teddy's wrong to say what he said. Um, I think they asked him his opinion and he's given it. And, and you know, as, as we mentioned, he's he understands uniquely the, the position that Harry finds himself in because he was in it himself. So I don't think he's he's been particularly out of line or agitating for Harry to, to leave this summer. I think he, he was just honest. Yeah, I think it's just a fair comment, really. And I think, you know, we all come to that conclusion that, you know, there might be a day, God forbid, that Mr Kane does leave and, you know, Football is fluid, life goes on. I think, like Carl says, Teddy has been there, so he's got every right to sort of offer that valid opinion. Right, to finish the show, I'm going to open the transfer tavern to two quick names I want to discuss. So, Emma, we're going to go back to Germany very quickly, a quick 180, and a player you know very well, Mario Goetzer. So he's going, to, <laughs> he's going to leave Signal Duna Park very soon, whenever the season ends. Would a switch to the, the White Half and North London appeal to you? Could it happen? Is there too much injury baggage? What's your take on that one? Yeah, it's... 
I, you know, the Mario Goetz saga story is, is for me a really sad one because he is without doubt one of the most talented players that had ever pulled on a Borussia Dortmund shirt. Um, and obviously most people uh, are very much aware of his winner in the 2014 World Cup final. But the, the previous couple of seasons before that, he was literally the best player in the Bundesliga um, at such a super young age. Then, of course, he moved to Bayern. The move didn't go particularly well. Um, and then he got this terrible um, condition, which, you know, led to him losing all his fitness and they couldn't figure out what was wrong. And in the end, it's, you know, it's taken him years to get over that and to get back to somewhere approaching kind of his his normal, normal fitness levels. I mean, I think for me, he I wouldn't favour a move to Tottenham. And um, in fairness, it's not really been mooted um, in the media here in Germany. Um, all the talk has been about Liverpool and a, a return to, to um, hooking up with Jurgen Klopp. Um, the issues with Mario, there are two issues. One, as you mentioned, there is a lot of injury and fitness baggage there. And I mean, let's face it, we've got enough of that on our plate at the moment with Endon Belly at the moment. We don't need any more. Um, and secondly, sadly, I just don't think Goetze is, is the player that he was anymore. And I think that um, he's had very little playtime under Lucien Favre, the, the Dortmund manager. Um, he's very much a substitute role only and, and quite often doesn't even make it from the bench onto the pitch. So I feel like we don't need to sign anybody that, you know, we kind of need to babysit. I think we need people that can come in and really get going and hit the ground running. And as much as I, I love what Goethe can do as a player, I don't think he is the, the right fit for Tottenham personally right now. Right, you heard it here first. Goethe is not coming to Spurs. Right, <laughs> that, that's official. Cole, the other name in this week's Transfer Tavern, Odson Eduard, a Celtic. Now, a lot of people are going, mm, Scottish football and all that, but... Could the French forward be the ideal number two for Kane, especially if the worst did happen and he moved on in, say, 12 to 24 months' time? Uh, well, obviously, you know, trying to talk about would could he fill Kane's shoes, that that's a massive role and for someone to try and take on, isn't it? You know, that's a trying to replace Ferguson sort of thing. You know, it's never going to happen. Um, obviously, this is a young guy who seems to be, you know, doing really well so far at Celtic and as you say anybody who sort of says oh Scottish football just remember Virgil van Dijk um, was at Celtic and he seems to have done quite well for Liverpool so far this season and since he's joined you know when Yama was a massive success wasn't he when he came to us before injuries hit him so you can't rule it out just on that fact of oh, Scottish football you'd also like to think you know there's a guy who's kind of played in similar conditions and a similar pace football to England, which, again, before, you know, when we brought people like Janssen in, who seem to have done well in, in a league, you know, abroad, but hasn't, you know, been able to replicate that here because of the demands of the English game. Then you sit there and just think, well, you know, I, I'd be quite happy to see the guy come in. He looks like he's got some potential. We do need a natural striker to come in and possibly offer some backup and, you know, dare say it, maybe a little bit of competition. Um, so I wouldn't rule it out. And again, you know, when no one now is going to be going out and spending 50, 60 million to bring players in. So you are looking at a different market now and you've got to be looking at different ideas and different opportunities to try and take. So I can't see it. I wouldn't see it being the worst. But again, whether it would come off, we'd have to wait and see. You know, there's lots of speculation out there at the moment, isn't there, around players. So who knows what, what, what's true and, and, and what's just paper talk to fill, to fill some space. Yeah, I mean, obviously, it's getting to that time of year. I could have picked out another five names, really, which we could actually discuss next week. So, actually, that's an idea. If you're listening 
and you want us to discuss any other transfer targets, send them into the main account and we can run through them next week. I'll open the transfer tab and doors wide open. So that's your homework for everyone listening. I just do my homework now, which is the admin, and that's pretty much just, if you like what you've heard, leave a review. Also, retweet the pod tweets on the main account. It helps us move up the league table. If you want to be on the show, you can get in touch with me, at DanTracy1983. And I just need to thank my fearsome strike force of guests. Emma, thank you so much for your time this evening. I hope you will join us again sometime soon. Thanks very much for having me. It's been great. Thank you so much. And Carl, pleasure as always, mate. I believe you'll be back with me next week. Yeah, cheers, Dan. Looking forward to it. And it's been good to chat some all things Spurs again. Fantastic. Hopefully, James, you can get your sodding internet sorted. So, James, if you're listening, mate, look forward to speaking soon. And with that said, it just leads me to say that my name's Dan Tracy. And as always, come on, you Spurs. For Spurs fans everywhere, this is the ultimate football app for you. For match highlights, interviews and the best Tottenham videos and podcasts, download the free Coys app now from the App Store and Google Play.